Matthew. Everybody say amen. amen. God is in this house. Praise God. We are talking about the kingdom of God. <laughs> the kingdom of God. I was in the kingdom of China before. And you could tell it was a kingdom. There are streets called Paradise Street. And all the beautiful names in the Bible that call the streets by that name. There was not one speck of dirt on the ground. But the people face did not reflect the title of the streets. And you knew there was something there with a forced joy, a forced happiness. You go to Europe and there's the kingdom of Europe, the kingdom of Asia, the kingdom of different countries. And you look at the starvation and the, and the degradation, you know, that's not my kingdom. And as bad as people try to make Canadian government look bad, you still got the best among the rest. You may not think so, but when you travel, you'll find out you got the best among the rest. You may not like our mayor, but our mayor does have some pride in our community. I see our mayor trying to beautify our city. Not many cities are like that. I see garbage everywhere. I see dead dogs and dead cats on the highway. I see garbage, filth, and human excrement everywhere the place. But you don't see that here. You see flowers and trees and beautiful, amen, amenities for humanity consumption and living lifestyle. I thank God for that. It's the dominion of Canada. I've been to the States and I've been to Florida where my mother-in-law lives. You could almost eat off the grass, eat off the street. It is so clean and so perfect. It's immaculate. You dare not drop a spittle on the ground. They'll charge you for it. Praise the Lord. That's the kingdom of Florida. But I want to talk to you about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. Let's take our Bible and turn to the 25th chapter. And verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country. You know who that man is? Who's that man, folks? Folks, who is that man? Who is this man traveling in a far country? He's going vertically upwards. Who called his own servants. Notice, his own servants. And to deliver unto them his goods. His goods. We're going to pray. Lord Jesus, the song said you're the same. You have not changed. And I agree with the singers. And I agree with the lyrics and the stanza of the music. Now tonight, God bless us tonight. I rebuke every sickness and every disease that comes in this building to interfere with the body of Christ. If the body is sick, the head is sick. If the head is sick, the body is sick. So therefore, no sickness among us tonight, but the wholesomeness of Jesus Christ. Let us prosper in health and wealth tonight in Jesus' name. Anoint me to speak your word in Jesus' name. That's a clap your hand. Clap your hand to Jesus. Come on. Clap your hand to Jesus. I said, Jesus Christ is Lord. You may be seated. 
on Friday, we talk about the mission of the church. Now, in religion, they're involved in many, many things. In fact, if I was to name a few, and they do have social benefits. Salvation Army has social benefits. They do. They have people in crisis. They have people who are homeless and hungry and all that stuff. And there are many more social activities <coughs> that people are involved in. Cultural activities. Mercenary activities. Coup d'etat activities. But that's not the purpose of the church. He said, my house will be called a house of prayer. That's what my house, which is this house, shall be called. Now, other houses in this city, it doesn't matter what they do. But it does matter what this house does. Because he said, we're two or three, and there are more than two or three here. In our midst is Jesus Christ. I don't know if he brought all the angels with him, all the cherubs, all the seraphims. I'm definitely sure he can look at me and look at my face, and I wouldn't tell and don't know he's looking at me, looking in your face, looking in your heart, and he's watching everything that goes on, good, bad, or indifferent. He's right here. I believe that. Well, let's welcome him. Let's welcome Jesus. I said, let's welcome Jesus. He's in our midst. Come on. Come on now. I didn't say the president of the United States. I said, the king of glory is here. Give him all the praise. Praise God. Now, I want to focus on his kingdom and his sovereign servants. Everybody that's in the church is in the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not talking about the negative. I mean the positive. These parables here are not designed for unsaved people. The 25th chapter of Matthew is not about the unsaved. And it's hardly read in churches because it's a church scripture that deal with responsibility and accountability of the people of that kingdom. Hello. And, and, and so I would not be expected to go to China and clean up China. I wouldn't expect to go pay taxes in China. But in Canada, I would expect to do all those things and be a good corporate citizen. And Jesus is trying to tell us about the future while living in the present. And the first thing he talks about is Christian stewardship. Now, the story of the wise virgins and the foolish virgins, it's not about sinners. It's about his people. He's talking about his people. The Lord don't expect the world to usher him into a marriage. He doesn't expect the world to pay him tithe and offering. He doesn't expect the world to praise him. They're going to curse him and blaspheme his name. But when he comes to his people, we are going to worship him. 
praise him, adore him, see him separately than how others see Jesus. And I want us to look at some things that Paul wrote to us who God spoke to. Now, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 16, the apostle Paul wrote, Woe is me. Now, the word woe is a very destructive word. Angels flew around the world after one angel said, worship God. Woe, woe, woe to the depths of the earth. That means destruction. He said, if I preach not the gospel. In other words, I don't have a chance. When God met me on the Damascus journey, he didn't ask me, well, do you like my apostles? Do you like my church? He <laughs> said, I want you to go in the street called straight. And you're going to get a role and a responsibility given to you. You're going to go there and do as they tell you. And they're going to tell you what you have to do. And, and I told him that God sent him and I to talk to you, Paul, that you might hear the word of God and be baptized and receive the Holy Ghost. And then God told Paul, the reason why I didn't destroy you for killing all my people and all that, I got a job for you. I got to work for you. <laughs> and I'm going to get you enlisted in my army, in my kingdom. Now, Paul had no idea he's going to write half of the book of the Bible. He had no idea he's going to be even greater than Peter, reaching all the Gentile world. He had no idea. But when God called you out of darkness into light, he does not mess up your personality or your energy level. He just changed your goals. He just changed your purpose. And you've got to live out your purpose if you're going to be fulfilling the call of God. Because God called people with purpose. For this cause was I born. For this cause came I in the world. David said, for this cause, I'll fight that giant. I was anointed for this cause. He found his purpose. And in the faith of God, we can become bench warmers. We can become churchgoers and become churchianities, but never become, amen, the workmanship that God wants us to become. And God has invested in every born-again believer. He said, I purchase you with my own blood. And Peter said, not with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We are a purchased possession. Now, when you purchase slave in slavery days, you belong to an owner. And that owner may even put a tag on you like a cow, put a seal on you. Anybody else see if you run away, they know you belong somewhere, even though you might be out of bounds of where you belong. They put a mark on you. In World War II, prisoners had marks on them and numbers on their skin. They could not get it off. It was etched in their body. When God put a seal on you, it's because he's proud of you. Now, every one of these pens have a seal on them of the owner that made this. They are proud of the product. They put their seal on it. Now, this pen could sit here for days 
and never become used by me or anyone else, eventually it will dry up. I don't know how fortunate you are to be in a plantation and watch fruit trees where the fruit never got plucked, never got picked, and it goes through stages of ripening, and then eventually it rots and fall to the ground. Nobody picked it because the fruit trees are giving off its colorfulness to entice you to pick it and migrate it from where it's at to where it can be and drop it off. When you leave here tonight, tomorrow, we don't know where you're going to be, but you are dispersed like leaven in a lump. And you are diffusing yourself in among people that I will never meet, just like I will meet folks you will never meet. And only God knows what you do with that opportunity and that time that you come in contact with that individual. Now, that person that you rub shoulder with may never know who you are unless you begin to shine, unless you begin to give off odor and scent and incense, then people begin to realize this is not an ordinary person. The demoniac girl in Macedonia didn't take her long to discover that Paul and Silas were not ordinary men. She cried with a loud voice, these are men of the most high God. And she knew why they came. That came here to show us the way of salvation. She was right on. She's a witch. But she's right on. Amen. And for days she did this. And Paul finally got upset and turned her and said, Come out of her, Satan. Because he didn't want the world to think that God is using witchcraft to advertise his cause. Not when he's got you and me as his mouthpiece. When God said, Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Hold not your peace or the rock's going to take your place. Amen. And so she couldn't continue to do what she was doing. She couldn't read fortune anymore, and it put the apostles in jail and prison like wicked men, but they were not wicked. They were doing the Lord's command. They were in a mission and a vision that carried them in that mission, and it got them in jail. But I want to tell you, God had a guy in that jail who wanted to get out of there. And that guy knew why they were in jail, because of the gospel. And the Bible said, when they start singing and praising God, then they realize these are no ordinary men. These are different guys. They're very different. It won't take long to discover you're different. There's something to shine about you. You know, twinkle, twinkle, little star. All right, I wonder where you are. Just keep shining where you are. And in that little dark place, you'll come light to the world. And he said, what must I do to be saved? That's the beginning of the church of Philippi. Now, Paul says, Woe is me if I, what, preach not the gospel. Give an example. He was at Athens, and he saw the city given to idolatry, and Paul, for whatever reason, did not volunteer to testify. But the Bible said he was pressed. The pressure of a calling was upon him. And though he could hide in the crowd, he couldn't hide from heaven. He was an open spectacle to God. Angels are watching what he's doing. Seraphims are looking at him. 
will he become the voice piece? And Paul began to explain to them who this unknown God is. It got him in trouble again, but he was right anyhow. What he's saying, woe be me if I preach not the gospel. Now, here's what I don't believe in one save, always save. This is a saved man who said, I speak with tongues more than you all. Amen. I speak with tongues more than all you Corinthians. And he's saying, woe is me if I do not live to my Damascus calling. If I can seal and not reveal Christ to the world that I'm sent to. He said, woe is me. And Paul is telling us, I labor more than them all. Night and day abundantly. In shipwreck and toils in fear of my own countrymen. He said, I labor um, more than them all. And I was saying, I know at the end I got to give an account of my stewardship. I will have to give an account. And even though the kingdom of this world is against me and don't want me to do it, I've got to obey God more than man. Praise God. My point tonight is to tell you that the story of the virgin is about quality of readiness to perform when the king shows up. The story about the stewards in the chapter is about the profitability-ness. Did God waste his money on these disciples? You got three and a half years investment in them. Did he waste it? And so he gave us a story about the stewards and the profitabilityness of those stewards. Then he moved on to the flock because it's what we're like, flock. We're living in a conglomeration of people of all sorts. I told there are four kind of grounds, first ground, second ground, third ground, fourth ground. The fourth was the right one. The rest were just casuals. But the Lord says, I'm going to tell you about the usefulness of your presence. Amen. And so the kingdom of God is a kingdom with a dominion. As a king over that kingdom, he's got servants that are supposed to be in stewardship to his expectation. And God is talking to his church. He didn't say this is a parable, but it says it's likened unto. He's talking about things you and I can relate to, that we can understand. In every case, the story is, you better not disappoint me. That's the bottom line. The entire chapter is about, you better not disappoint me. You better fulfill my expectations of you. You better produce after your kind. And I'm going to expect in accordance to how much I've allotted to you. Everybody in the church don't have the same amount of abilities. Everybody in the church don't have the same quality of talents. Everybody just don't have it. 
but everybody has something. That's why you're in the church. Nobody in the church, because of a blank, came to a thing. There are no handicaps in the church. Did you know that? There's no uh, leftover vestige of useless. When God made the world, there was no leftovers. There were no leftover uselessness. Everything was well-coordinated, knitted together, combined together, interrelated, interconnected. And he's saying, my kingdom, my kingdom has workers. Now, if I make it to heaven and you make it to heaven, we are still going to work. Because though you may make up his bride, you're still his servant. And the whole purpose of a servant is to serve. Have you been waiting on? That's what they ask you. Have you been waiting on? Or I'm waiting for you to command. Tell me what you want, and I'll do it. And the Lord is saying to his church, amen, that there's a labor that we can rest from. Now, a person who don't labor don't deserve rest. They're just indolent. <laughs> amen. That's a lazy person. Amen. And they can lay and lay back in the time of uh, harvest and never bring forth anything at the close of the harvest. All right, Revelation 14 in verse 13, the Lord speaking to his church, not to the world, but to you and me, that when it's all over, we're not just going to slide into heaven and say, well, God, I obey Acts 238, I'm saved, that's it, okay. Sit down, take my knees. God said, no, it's not going to work that way. God says, what prophet have you been? To my kingdom. The Lord bring it down so finitely. It says, even if somebody was to give a cup of water in my name, it's looked upon as valued. As valued. A point system. God's a point system. We allocate rewards based on effort. And investment of self and talent. And I watch in churches, not just here, but all over the world, where people were hard laborers for the cause. And those who just slide right on, do absolutely nothing, enjoy everything, and look like you are wasting your time while they just love you doing what you're doing. In other words, now, 1% do the work, and 99% watch them do it. It's happening in this kingdom. He's teaching that right now. Everybody in heaven has a role and a responsibility. There's not one angel among the myriads that does not have a divine function, purpose. Even Lucifer had a function, a place, a position in the kingdom of heaven till God threw him out. Amen. Adam and Eve was given a function to take care of the ground. 
So God didn't water it. God, by man, it, God was using Adam to dress it. Adam was an agriculturist. God says, dress it. Take care of it. Well, obviously, he left off doing that. Got involved with something else he shouldn't be getting involved in and lost everything. God, threw, God fired him. God just fired him. Get out. Threw him out. And then God destroyed the garden. <laughs> Hello. I think Isaiah chapter 4. Go there, please. Or chapter 5. I believe chapter 5. There's a story I've asked you to look at many times, and I'm not sure if you remember it, but it affects me a lot. How God speaks of his well-beloved vineyard. How he loved that vineyard. And he called it a fruitful hill. In other words, anything that's planted there must produce, will produce. It's fruitful. When you read through the whole thing, it's well taken care of. And yet, the story of that vineyard was disappointment. It did not meet the vine dresser expectation. You know what he did? He broke down the edge, he removed all the protection allow the, the thorns and the thistles to come and choke it and destroy it. And the story told you it was about Israel. If you go to Israel, the promised land don't look like the promised land. It looked like a barren land. <laughs> Sand dune everywhere. I don't see no milk flowing or honey anywhere. All I see is guns and bullets. Amen. It's not what he wanted. But Israel did not match up to the planter's expectations. Now, church, we're not supposed to make the mistake Israel made. They are our open spectacle. We saw what happened to them. We're not going to go in their footprints, all right? But the 14th chapter, Revelation, verse 13, speaks of those who successfully serve God. God said they are now in heaven, and they rest from their labor on earth. And so now, their works follow them. I'm glad it didn't say, and their sins followed them. But their works followed them. In Revelation chapter 2, the model of the seven churches, which represent all of us, in verse 2, follow up with the scripture. It says, chapter 2 and verse 2, I know thy work, you Ephesians. Verse 9, it says, Smyrna, I know thy works. Pergamos, Verse 13, I know thy works. Verse 15, I mean, verse 19, Tyra, Tyra, I know thy works. Chapter 3 and verse 1, I know thy works. Chapter 3 and verse 8, it says, Philadelphia, I know thy works. Verse 15, let us see, I know thy works. Now, we got charismatic churches in town and everywhere else tell you, you can go to heaven, there's nothing you have to do, Jesus did it all. That's a lie. You've got to carry your own cross. You've got to save yourself. You have to work out your own salvation. I'm in the Bible. I'm not making this up. You've got responsibility that you can't shove off on God. God said this is your role and responsibility. Even you know, those miracles, God never did it all by himself. Never does. So you have to have a part in that miracle. You roll the stone away and I'll bring him up. You take up your bed and I'll make sure you walk. 
You give me your lunch and I'll turn into many. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. You crawl and touch me and I'll make you whole. But he'll not do it on his own. Because if he did, nobody would be sick. Everybody would be made whole. But he put the onus of responsibility back in the hands of the person that is attracted to him. You do this and I will do that. You have faith in me, and I'll perform according to it. Then I'll perform first, and you have faith in me. Oh, no. You got to express faith in me without work, seeing it done, and then I'm going to do it. Can you say that? According to thy faith. In other words, don't blame me if it doesn't work. It's according to your faith. I'm going to operate on your faith. In other words, when you go and you plant a seed, you do it by faith. You have no idea if it's going to grow. <laughs> you plant a pea grain and walk away, and you don't see for three or four days. You don't give up on it. You hope the unseen is taking place. It is germinating and going to ferment and become a great plant. All right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and verse 12 to 15, I know pastors, and I'm not going to condemn them. I just know they do it. I know one guy is digging a, basement and he took up money from his church for the last five years he spent almost three to four million dollars and he's still in the subground i don't know sure what he's building he's being a palace for himself but that's not for jesus four million dollars and the foundation wall is not yet where it should be Nothing coming up out of the ground. What is he building? And the people are wondering what's going on. What are we going to see? Something for $4 million going up. Another guy, one of his uh, window that he has to fix by law is going to cost him $500,000. He bought this theater. going to cost him that much. To put that one window, and he got many more to fix. Not to mention the roof. And he still can't move in. And all this uh, dishing out of cash and dough. Hello. But here's where Paul brings us back in a perspective. Chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians and verse 12. What does he say? Now, if any man build on this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, verse 13, listen now, every man's work shall be made manifest. Sometimes churches are in competition. Who can build the biggest church, the most colorful, elegant building? Who can have the whitest, the best, the beautifulest of all? And forgot the purpose and the reason for it. But every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day of Christ shall declare it. Amen. What is it saying? I'm going to burn some things here. Because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire, every man's work, shall be tried by fire. What sort it is? I have not preached it here since a long time. But across the road, I preached a message called Reprobate Silver. 
God called reprobate silver. Reprobate silver is the refiner go to the slag heap and dig up from the minefield silver and mud and dirt, etc. You bring it home and build a fire, like a smelter. Put in a big old vat and burn that thing. Well, the, the, the physics is this, that the slag supposed to float to the top and the silver left behind. And the scoop would be used to scoop off that muck, that junk, and throw it off. But a reprobate silver, no matter how the fires turn on and up and high, and he's scooping, he can never see his face in that pot. You never know when this thing is purified until when you look down in that cauldron, you can see your actual face reflected. And so when he keep on scooping off the slag and the muck, etc., and couldn't see his face, the pot began to shrink, shrink down, 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 down. Nothing is left to scoop off, and there's no silver there. And he called the slag heap reprobate silver. You don't know this, but when you're trying to do the will of God and the purpose of God, and you find yourself in trials and problems and tribulations, God expect you to come out of that fire not smelling like smoke. The only thing that fire should affect is the cord on your hands and the thing that had you bound. But when you come out, you should still reflect him. And if he can't see you in that reflection, they say we're reprobates. Paul says in chapter 13, verse 5, if you have not the spirit of Christ, then we're what? reprobates. I didn't make that up. Bible says that. And so the Lord says, everything you're doing for Christ will be tested by fire, whether it be gold, silver, stone, wood, hay, stuff. In other words, everything we're doing for God will have to pass through that inferno. What is it made of? Now, of course, the first thing you're going to lose is hay and stubble, then wood, and then the rest may not be lost, but be purified. Hello. It didn't break you, it made you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It didn't destroy you. Hallelujah. It promoted you. Amen. Verse 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest. Everything you do, these folks singing right here, you know, they walk away and say, well, Pastor, you forget it. I may, but God don't. Every service we have here is recorded in heaven. What a big tape system God has. What a good, great playback he has. Hello? Every person that's involved in sacrifice, or involving any little thing in the things of God, God says, they shall not receive their reward. Now, the word reward don't mean it's always good. It could be bad. It could be a bad reward. It could be a good reward. But God says, nothing on earth go unrewarded. Think about it. So every man works shall be rewarded, may manifest what it is. 
Verse 14, if your work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Now, you know, I think of Paul was concerned about the Thessalonians. He couldn't be with them for a certain period of time. And so he was fearful that Satan had overcome a lot of them. You know, because God knows when you're not where the shepherd is, you're by yourself, and all the demons come around you. They come in different forms and shapes and style and words and ways. And you're on your own, and the sheep is in a circle, and the wolves are there to go at them. And Paul said, when I couldn't bear any longer, I said, Timothy, to find out your state, lest my labor was in vain. Come here, Zachary. Come here, son. Stand right here, please. Now, Eli is talking to Samuel. Eli has no idea how much this guy is going to retain. He has no idea what he's going to do with it later on. But one thing he has learned, how to light the lamp. That's all he knows. He doesn't know God. He doesn't know why he's lighting the lamp, but he's just doing it because he's asked to do it. Hello? Alfred and Phineas are not doing it. They're supposed to be doing it, but they're not. But this little lad is doing it. And then one day, God says, Samuel, Samuel. And the voice sounded like Eli's voice. Say, Randy, say, Eli, what do you want? I don't need you, boy. Back to bed. <laughs> okay, bye. Samuel, Samuel, you called me. No, I didn't. I said, boy, I said, get back to bed. So we're back to bed. And the voice came again, Samuel. Samuel, all right. He said, but you did call me. And Samuel realized this guy's not being rude, but is hearing a voice calling him for a future. He said, now, I'm going to tell you some stuff, boy. Now, why is God talking to a little boy who can do absolutely nothing in what he heard? <laughs> but God does strange things. And God told him every problem that Eli had and everything went wrong with Eli. Now, that's strange. Eli is his boss. He's his daddy. And God tells the little boy this. It's a lot of pressure to put in a young kid. <laughs> but God don't see him as a kid. God sees him in his future, not in his present status. And God's looking beyond your present status. You don't know if God didn't brought you here to be an apostle someday and a prophet someday or a teacher, an evangelist. And right now, you're absolutely no good, no nothing at all, dumb as a bat. But God is still throwing things at you. You know, Eli's work was not lost. He lost his son, lost his household, but what Eli put in Samuel was still going on. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because everybody realized now this guy is meant to be a prophet because he was seeing things others didn't see. He was saying things others didn't say, and so on and so forth. And the Bible says the prophet is from Samuel to John. Well, you can't count Samuel in there without 
recognizing the influence of Eli. And God has a way of connecting us with the church he wants us in for the opportunity and the benefit you can get from being there, which you can't get anywhere else. Because in his mother's house, he would never become a prophet or a priest. You have to deal with, Eli, with uh, Anna's other stepsons. But God raised him up somewhere different. Thank you. Now, if your work abide, Paul says, when I heard 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, when I discovered what you guys are doing, he said, oh, my labor was not in vain. Because he says, you are my crown of rejoicing. Somebody is going to wear a crown because you are on the pews where you are. Now, you didn't offer them that crown, but what they did brought you in. And if you stay, that's their crown of rejoicing. He said, I was concerned lest my labor was in vain that I've given you all this for naught. But when I heard of your faith and your continuance, he said, you are my crown of rejoicing. In other words, does your work abide? Better put by the Jesus himself, John 15, and that your fruit remain. And that your fruit remain. That whatsoever you ask in my name, I will do it. We are told, amen, in verse 15, some people's work shall be burned up. You know, nice, beautiful buildings are wonderful. We love to have them, but they're all going to burn up one day. But what was manufactured in that building is the key. This church is a manufacturing plant. You come in raw material, and we don't judge you based on what you come in as. We, based on what you go out as. What God turned out from you. You know, a sponge, you know, always lapped up the liquid, but give up nothing. Amen. But a conduit pulls in and lets out. A sponge can become defunct, but you can't be receiving and releasing and ever become a germ carrier. Because the constant scouring, that's the difference between a well and a cistern. A well always even give in, I mean receive and let out, but a cistern only takes in, but never gives out. And there are people in church that only absorb, but they never give out. They got nothing to offer and want everything God has to offer. Amen. And the Bible says, if your work shall be burned up, you might be in danger of losing your soul. Amen. Chapter 3 and verse 15. Now, Galatians 6 and verse 4 says, let every man prove his own work. I cannot sit here and make Murray and wonder what the guy in Chicago is preaching or doing. It's none of my business. It don't bother me if he's got one service on Sunday or 15 services on Sunday. It doesn't bother me one bit. Let him do what God commanded him to do. 
But I know what God wants me to do. It's supposed to be a Sunday morning, Sunday night. Amen. Hallelujah. And so I'm here. Amen. I'm supposed to be here Tuesday preaching prayer meeting. I'm going to be here by the grace of God. I'm supposed to be here on Friday night for Bible study. I'm going to be here. I can't talk about the guy down there with one service a week. That's his prerogative. That work will be tested. I've been on the job. Some folks will come in at 7 in the morning. Some come at 10. And some will show up at 4. <laughs> but you know what? It's none of your business. You clock in and clock out because you will be rewarded. Now, to take you to the story, I want to take you to right now. In chapter 25, I won't read the, I won't read the entire story. You know the story. In verse 10, the wise virgins were ready. Ready. In verse 11 to 12, the foolish we're not ready. It's foolish not to invest in the things of God. I know one bad before he died, his sister lived in Toronto and he lived in Vancouver and she lost almost half a million dollars on the stock market. One shot, she lost it. And he who had less money than she did invested his in mission field. She's forgotten. She's buried. She's gone. But I was looking on the website on a bibliographies of names, and his name is on that list, amen, of the faith. Reprint five times the book. That means since 1960 to now, people still want his book. People are still referring to his book. Is there a Dorcas in this church? Is there a Timothy who cares naturally for the things of God? Because Paul says, I have no man like-minded who care naturally. My pastor always taught me this. I wish I followed every time he told me. He said, the one who have the idea, give it to them because they got the vision. They got the idea, give it to them. And most time people get offended, but you give it to them. I said, well, why them? I'm better, I'm better qualified. You may be better qualified, but you're not better available. You may have skills and heights and talents that God can't use, but David has it. Amen. They had the vessel, the money, the knowledge, the know-how, but would not invest it. And they waited for the last moment. We used to have this in church, cleaning up the church, across the road, and even here. Most of them are, are backslidden by now. I've got some, some backslidden church. They're doing their weird stuff, and I won't tell you where they're gone. But we asked for the church to be clean. And we have those that were so smart, and I'm watching them. And you know, Smart saints know who the laborers are among us. Those who don't want to do anything they do, they got the uh, feather thing, and they would do this. <laughs> And the real workers pick up the vacuum cleaner and the mop bucket, and they mop. And they're sweating. The smart one just go like this. I'm just putting in time. 
You don't think God sees that? They're not original. In the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, that's what they did. Those who thought they were noble did not get involved. Didn't put their shoulder to the burden. Hallelujah. But when the time comes for the list of genealogies to be made up, they were not included. They were on the cursed side of the things. And these counterfeit, hypocritical believers who thought they could fake it, God came. And they disappointed him. And the Bible says, he shut them out. And at the same time, shut in the pure-hearted ones. Twice I heard it this week. But Einstein said, a man and a foolish person is somebody who put in twice the effort, doing the wrong thing that they've always done, and expect new results. The next example God gave us is the one in the 25th chapter of Matthew 14 to 18. Amen. Hallelujah. It's the stewardship of responsibility. I didn't know I could play piano. Sister Kim, I didn't know I could play an organ like this. How can you possibly hide that? Now, if you stay in the church for 15 more years and never play that, you rob this church. You rob God of a talent you have kept in your cupboard. Knowing very well it could have a flavor. It's a place skillfully in a new instrument. I don't know who bought that bungo gem, but somebody saw it's there, and they come and start playing it. The rest of us don't care. Bungo or no bungo, we don't need a drum. <laughs> Let's have church. I'm satisfied what we have. But some folks said, no, we can do a little better. We can add some flavor to what's going on. We could add some taste, some new song. It's a play a new song unto the Lord. Everybody can't be a singer. Everybody can't be a piano player or a guitar player. But we've got 10 string instruments. Someone you clap their hands, let's fold their hands. I know some used to do this all through the service. And that's how their life is today. They still are that way. They haven't changed. Unemotional. What's the fuss? They can pass by garbage in the ground. Pass by a sister to struggle. I said, well, I knew she was having a problem. We did nothing about it. But I did nothing about it. I didn't want anything about it. You know, you're, you're, you're the priest of the Levites. You're passing on the other side. None involvement. And the Bible says, God, with the element of surprise, which is going to hit all of us, me and you and everybody else, in verse 19, for a long time, he didn't come. Didn't show up. And then when he finally showed up, he caught them off guard. And you'll always be seeing doing what you've always done. Because habits become routine, a way of life. Amen. And the Bible says, in verse 19, 23, we found two groups of what I want to become. 
responsible, profitable believers. You're not supposed to give it back to me the way I gave it to you. <laughs> I'm going to say this here. I'm not looking for helps. But you know what? I was in uh, Georgia. And we drove back late. It was about 1 o'clock. And I said, who's the car there? What's the car doing there? And the pastor said, why aren't you going home? He said, no, I can't go home until I know you're safe. <laughs> and he wouldn't go home until he leaves. He said, everywhere guns are, anything would happen. I thought, this is amazing. This is awesome. Why did God give you a talent? To keep it? Michael Jackson had a talent. Frank Sinatra had a talent. All the movie stars have talents, not for the purpose they're using it. And most of those guys were in churches like right here. And they come by and they pull them out. They pull girls and boys out with, if you'll bow and worship me with music and your skill and your talent, I will do this for you. I gave a missionary my books when I was in uh, a small island there. He says, my daughter can translate this for you in Spanish. I'd love to do it. He said, give it to me. Last conference I was at in 15, I met her on the plane, he introduced me to her and says, it's done. The work is done. Somebody saw it and took it a next level higher. Don't tell me the guy with the one talent couldn't have asked those who had the two and the five, how did you do it? Can you help me increase what I've got? But you know what he did? Blame everything but self. I heard a story told on one of those show I watched on video one time. This guy was telling about the preacher was preaching, and this guy, he always said, Preacher, you did give it to them. You gave it to them real good. Never him. So the preacher thought, I'm going to get this guy. This guy never admit his needs. And so one day, it just so happened Nobody showed up, but he alone showed up. But he always met the preacher at the door. And shaking his hand, said, man, that was a great sermon. You gave it to them real good. And this time, he's the only guy in church, and he's listening to the preacher. And the preacher came down the line and began to preach hard and, and talk about uh, slothfulness and uselessness and so on, and whatever the case was. And on the preacher's way out, the same man met him at the door. I said, Pastor, that was a fantastic sermon. It's only a pity they weren't here to hear what you say. <laughs> well, the Lord, not his fellow servants, said you could have, you should have, and God called him three names, slothful, wicked, unprofitable. He was rejected. Now, church, he's called a servant. 
You say, wasn't he baptized in Acts 2.38? Probably. Must have been. Or he couldn't be in the he could not be in there. Amen. He's a servant. He belongs to the man. Man said, throw him out. And the rest of the story is not good. We read on, we come to the nations that are sheep and goat nations. 25th chapter of the book of Matthew, 31 to 40. We see God separate people. You see, you can't look on the outward appearance. God look on the heart. Amen. God look on the heart. <laughs> this is one time people lie the most. They just lie. And I watch people, when they start grudging tithing, their finance start to go down. Their contract become fewer. Their blessing begin to erode. And they never stop and ask, why? God says, don't give grudgingly, sparingly. You can't envy what belongs to God. That was the problem of Ophid and Phineas. They quarrel with what's going and coming out of the pot. And they say, we want first, not God. And God said, I'm going to slay them both at the same time, plus their daddy, because you allow them to do it. This can't build my future. It's not worth going to hell telling lies on income tax or this. It's not worth it. But these nations, verse 31 to 40, one group is called sheep and one is called goat. And my facetious joke is always this. A goat always said, nah, meaning no. And the sheep always said, yeah. Hello, praise God. And God told the sheep nation, enter thou in the joy of the Lord. Now, what's God trying to teach you and me? He's not talking to the world and sinners. He's saying, if you plan to have treasures in heaven, first, I'm going to assume you're going to make it to heaven. Number two, you won't be the poorest person in heaven because you left treasures in heaven. And God told me today in prayer, in my heart, this is how we lay treasures in heaven. There is no other way. God is so involved with the saints that in Malachi, he said, as they spake often one to another, a book was remembered for them. And when I make up, he called them my jewels. I will spare them as the Father spared his son. You know, we have, I don't mind if you guys tell the district what I say. We got district positions. And we got guys that think they're smarter than God. You don't take a position and not fulfill it. You better off reject it and we curse you and that's it. But don't bluff your way. It's worse. God says, I would, you were hot or cold. But don't fake it. Let me tell you about faking it. 
we used to buy from Germany certain machinery in Switzerland. Russia was a competition. Canada didn't have it. And so the company in Edmonton that we worked through from Westphalia, Westphalia brought up a branch in New York to serve Canada because we used them so often every year and it cost almost half a million dollars for one bottom only. And the company uses them. So you can see how highly favored we were in the eyes of those men. They'll buy you anything you want because <laughs> they want your business. So Russia wanted to compete with these companies and they went to the Russian companies to show in Russia what they, what they have. They said they had a guy at the door. He was watching to see when the supervisor was coming. And every machine that was down, not running, they would turn on every machine. And you hear lots of noise and rotation going on. The machines are running because the supervisor's coming by. And you think these guys are being productive. But they're being deceptive. And as soon as the boss walk out far enough, they turn the machine off. And one of the reasons why they did it was because they got no incentive to work. You know, same pay, no matter what you did, good or bad, same pay. So they didn't see a reason to work. But church, that's why today a country like USSR is not productive. Because the kingdom of Russia have servants that did not buy into their vision of wanting to be great and hoping to be great. And so in the church, it can be the same way. We can act like we're having church. We have saints that tells us, criticism to me, you preach too long, Brother Neil. Oh, oh, oh. I got folks that tell me that all the time. You know, preach too long. Oh, my God. Oh, you're too rough, man. Come on. Get off it. And you know what? They may have more on their pews than we got right here. In most cases, ten times more. But nobody feathers is ruffled. God sees that. God says few are going to be saved. Few are going to find it. And few are going to listen to it. For many shall turn their ears away from. What? The truth. And so the goats, God said, you're a goat. Go over there and they're lost. And God said, you're a sheep. You see, the sheep always gives. The goats have nothing to give. Let's stand. The sheep is always giving, listen now, wool. And every sheep knows if they ever keep that wool beyond a certain time frame, what happened to them? What happened to them? Come on, folks, tell me. What happened to them? I can't hear you guys. You don't know what you do? Obviously, you're not a sheep. You're a goat. You have no experience with this thing. You burn up. 
You burn up a sheep lasts longer when you remove the wool off it. The goat has no wool. Hallelujah. And God says, get rid of them. And the last one he talked about is in 25th chapter and verse 44 to 51. I don't know what you guys are thinking, but I know what I'm thinking. Lord, the only supervisor I've been making Murray is Jesus Christ, and he's invisible. Somewhere in this building, God, you're here. I'm not sure where you are. You fill this place with your presence. You're in everything I just preached a while ago. And your inkhorn is riding somewhere here, along here. But you know what? He said to me, if I quit being a wise steward and start getting involved in political fighting between brethren, hello, he's going to come at an hour when I think not and call me a what? An evil servant. If you brothers were rich and you hire nannies like some do in the States, they realize their baby is being taken care of, is being abused and misused. So they got a secret camera, a little camera that they could not see, or their moms and dad that was aged and they put them down for self you know care by these people and they would see in the film the mistreatment or the lack of treatment of the people that they're paid to take care of Jesus is in this building with an invisible eye don't you think for one moment church what you do for Christ won't last. I know church in this town only have one service Sunday morning from 10 to 12, and that's the end of it. Oh, God bless that preacher. Isn't he wonderful and blessed? The rest of the week, you put his foot up and take it easy. But I can't do that. So that my house may have meat in due season. Praise God. God used home mission church to finance foreign mission work. I can't go. I'm not called to go. But rather than me buying a window for $500,000, I could build a lesser window and raise up 500 churches. Think about it. Think about it. Instead of working overtime to build a bigger car, I could work overtime to support more missionaries. Who do you think going to be benefit in the end? Only what you do for Christ will last. We're going to sing that song. Remember, only what you do for Christ. I want to ask you, church, Get your eyes off the person beside you. They don't feel the burden you feel. 
any conviction that you feel. Let me tell you one thing before we all for me, please. There's a girl, she she addicted herself to the ministry. She did when she first started. God, God brought her out of the darkness and she had light. And she for a long time she served God. She really did. She was she was faithful. I mean, she wanted to do everything and everything. She wanted to clean the church. She wanted to clean my house. She wanted to clean everything that is in the church. She wanted to give everything. I mean, she was going to do it. And she would sweep this church and she would just make it look immaculate. And one of the girls that was blessed materially, but lived for God wretchedly, began to badger her and say to her, you're just trying to be pastor's favorite. And wouldn't stop till she stopped her. Stopped her. People think you got the wrong motive of what you're doing. And they misconstrued what you're doing. But out of your love for Jesus, that alabaster box doesn't mean anything to you until you touch Jesus with it. And she talked her out of it. Well, that person is dead now. God had mercy on that soul. But the one that is alive still jumped from house to house, jobs to jobs, cars to cars, and it seemed like they're blessed in their sin. But I asked him one day, how are you going to miss hell? Boy, when I said that, they look at me like, how oh, dare you? I said, I said it to you already. I said, how are you going to miss hell? You can't miss it. And living, and I will tell you, church, every year attended at a minimum three or four suicidal funerals. You think God will not hold that wretch for responsibility? Jonah, go down to Nineveh. Preach. Don't tell me how bad they are. Preach. And Jonah said, I ain't going to do it. I said, okay. That's why I called you. Throw to the sharks. I'm not going to the sharks' teeth, Fred. I'm going to live for God. Would you bow your heads right now? Be not weary in well-doing. For in due season you shall reap if you faint not. You're not doing it for the acceptance of the saints or people, but you have a commitment to the God that brought you out of darkness into light. And I move by conviction. I move by a cause. I witness because I believe in it. I gave myself, I gave my heart, my mind, my strength because I believe in him. And unknown to you is treasures laid up in heaven who's God talking to this night maybe you're doing great things and you don't think you're counted you're wrong the God who sees will say Cornelius your alms have come up to me as a memorial sometimes the pastor don't see sometimes the pastor don't even get recognition and he should but he somehow he missed it but it's not about him I'm doing this for the Lord and we sing the song, remember.
Lord, are you thinking about tonight? When you're burdened, it's not too far to go to Fort Mackay. It's not too far to go to Ansac. John Vare. It's not too far to go to those places. It's not too far to take time off from work and give God your time. Why did God save you? Remember only what you do for Christ will last. Only what I did for Christ will last. 